uh, look what this is Jesus. You saw what he did. Mm-hmm. We saw what he did. He, later, he says, we saw him risen. We are witnesses to the fact that he, the grave could not hold him. But God sent him, and he attested that he was God in your midst. And then he says, he delivered him up. God delivered him up, knowing that this was going to happen, but you killed him. Yeah, that's interesting. So that passage always is, is crazy to me, because Peter is so clear about the God through him, uh, what Jesus did in your midst, but God delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. Mm-hmm. He delivered him up. He gave him to you. He gave him to death. However, you killed him. <laughs> <laughs> You're not off the hook. That's why, I mean, you stopped it and they were cut to the heart. I mean, most of the time when Jesus is talking, everybody, they don't have ears to hear. Right. But now he's raised from the dead. The Holy Spirit is poured out. And suddenly the Holy Spirit is illuminating these words to right. them. Peter is speaking the right words by the power of the Holy Spirit. And they're like, oh my gosh, we get it now. When you think about the profound influence of the Bible on the world, the way that it has shaped our culture, whether you're a follower of Christ or not, it's probably a good idea that you know at least what it says. It's going to be about us taking and reading the Bible. Well, welcome back to the Take and Read podcast. This is Pastor Chad here, and I have with me another new guest. Launched a new series. We're now into the book of Acts, and I have a new guest. So I've had a series of new guests, but part of that is because I am not in my normal neck of the woods in Montana. I'm down in Point Loma, which is just outside of San Diego, and I have Mike Shutt with me. How you doing, Mike? I'm good, Chad. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. I knew you weren't in Montana when I saw the background. Now, did you That's not CGI. That no, that's Are you sure? that's real. That's a real palm that's a real tree. Palm tree. Right I behind can me. attest. Uh, it's it's, real. it's for real. We are here just outside of San Diego and uh, having a good time. So, on the last episode, we got to talk to August Huckabee one of the faculty members for Worldview, and I get to be a faculty member from time to time with Worldview and a long history, but I want people to know a little bit about Mike Shutt. I I met Mike uh, many moons ago in 2003 when we first met, and I was a college student serving in summer camp at Worldview Academy leadership camps, and you were a faculty member. Brand new faculty member. And you brought your family with you, and you were traveling across the country with Worldview brand new. We were both brand new. I was in my second year with Worldview and we actually traveled to this very campus yeah. 20 years ago yeah. and hung out. So I've, I've known Mike and I've watched his kids grow up. I've got to become friends with them and Mike and Lisa, uh, just an awesome family. And you now serve full time with Worldview Academy. So would love to know a little bit about Worldview and kind of what would you want folks to know about the ministry that you get to be a part of and what's your role in it? Yeah, I, as you said, I, I started teaching with Worldview Academy 20 years ago. Really, I did a fall camp in 2002, but uh, that just meant that I had to have other jobs to pay for my Worldview habit, right? <laughs> and so I worked with the Christian Legal Society doing law student ministries, doing a project called the Institute for Christian Legal Studies. And I just happened by God's providence to run into the uh, former executive director of Worldview Academy, a guy named Randy Sims, uh-huh. who's a great mentor in your life yeah. and f- friend of, of both of us. And, and he said, ah, you kind of do worldview for law students? 
Yeah, nobody on Worldview Academy really likes to talk about law and government. Why don't you, could you come do a talk on law and government? I was like, yeah, that's what I do. I would love to. And I walked into a room of uh, teenagers, junior high and high school students, raising their hand, begging the speaker to talk about B.F. Skinner and the philosophy of behaviorism. Oh, wow. And I was hooked. I'm like, this is the twilight zone. And so uh, Worldview Academy, uh, our, our signature event, uh, our summer camps for 13 to 18-year-olds, training students to think in accord with a biblical worldview yeah. so they can engage the culture well. Yeah, and we talked in the last episode, worldview is simply the lens through which you see the world, and August did a good job of explaining it's that that idea that, uh, like a, a prescription lens, if you need a prescription and you don't have a prescription, things are going to be pretty distorted yeah. and blurry, but when you have the right prescription, you see the, the world as it is. And the only really way to know the world as it really is is, is through the Holy Scriptures, yeah. right? So a biblical worldview or a Christian worldview is seeing seeing the world as God sees it. Mm-hmm. And we can't do that without God's revelation of himself and right. the person of Christ, uh, the Holy Scriptures, and and uh, and the natural world that God reveals himself through. And so you talk about the camps, and the, you, well, a long time ago, Worldview said, we're not going to have a be a camp that just has one location and people come to us. And so the model is travel around the country. So there are Worldview Academy locations throughout the United States. Uh, and so it's likely that if people are listening, they could find a camp near them if they knew a 13 to 18 year old in their life that they said, hey, I, I want to give them maybe something I didn't get yeah. as a kid and an opportunity to really invest in wisdom and by sending their kids to a camp or someone they know, they could look on the website and find locations because you guys are everywhere. Right. We're doing 19 camps this year. So wow. West Coast, East Coast, center of the country. We've got two teams of faculty going all over the place week after week. And so it's geared toward these 13 to 18-year-old students Absolutely. don't have to travel too far from home. Worldview.org is where you'd find those camps. Yeah. Uh, we, the goal, the goal it's, it's a summer camp, right? It, right. It's fun. But it is different than church camp, right? It's 25, 26 hours of lecture on apologetics, servant leadership, Christian worldview. We have topics from how to watch a movie to is the, is the Bible really reliable? What is truth, epistemology? How do we know what we know? Uh, and it's just a, it's a great experience for young students to look around and go, wait a minute, there are, there are 100 other people in my region, mm-hmm. 100 other students who just pop in and, and, and volunteer to sit for 25 hours of lectures. Let's, and let's do this. Yeah, this you hear great. that and you go, 25 hours of lecture in the summer is a summer school, and I am going to attest to the fact that it is a blast. Yeah. The way that uh, the faculty that you guys work with and bring in and are part of your team make it extremely engaging, and the students love it. They do. They love it. They love the faculty, but they also love their small group leader. Yeah. Part of the secret sauce of what makes this camp special is the college students from all over the country who come in. They volunteer their time, actually, mm-hmm. uh, to spend time with small groups of students. So students are are separated by age and sex, and they're in with, you know, gosh, I, I've, got, I've got six, eight other guys my age, and we're talking about we're talking about government and and authority, and we're talking about what does the Bible mean? Mm-hmm. And you've got a cool college kid. I, I love it when students come home from camp and tell their parents, you won't believe what I learned at camp. And dad's like, ah, I've been telling you that for 15 years. And we're <laughs> yeah. like, yes. It's just reinforcing what they've <laughs> Reinforcing, <clears throat> and we are, we're trying to reinforce what families are doing. Yeah. 
to train help help them train their students. We're just another voice, another tool in the tool belt. Awesome. Well, uh, if you're listening, go check out Worldview Academy. Find a camp near you and just go and visit. If you just want to go and sit in, uh, can people just come and check it out for you an bet. evening and see what it's like? <clears throat> you uh, bet. They are welcome. Awesome. Did I mention it's worldview.org? You did mention that. Oh, okay. So great. it's worldview.org. Yeah, O-R-G. O-R-G. Mm-hmm. Yeah, perfect. Yeah. Okay, check it out. Worldview, all one word? Yeah, all okay. one word. All one yeah, word. Yeah. Okay, perfect. Uh, well, also, Mike, as a new guest to the podcast, I always like to hear what a person's journey has been with the Bible. What What is... Where, where did it start for you and what does it look like today? So if you can think back to you, your earliest memories with the Bible, how you interacted with it, what role it played, and then maybe how that developed over time and what it looks like now for you to spend time in the word. Yeah. My parents were models with the scripture. They, they read and studied the Bible, both in Bible studies in church, and then they had regular quiet times or study times. My dad did some speaking. He was a, he was an air force officer, but he had he had times when he was, you know, where he would be asked to give a devotion or Bible study. And so I watched him handle the word, mm-hmm. prepare as a layman, right? Just open up the scriptures, read, read them, and then, and then discuss them with us as a family. We had, we had devotions every night after dinner as a family. Uh, we read, usually read a little devotional book, or he'd take us through a series of overview of the Bible. Oh, cool. Uh, I was raised Lutheran, and so there was some specific catechesis mm-hmm. uh, that happened. I remember going through confirmation classes in seventh and eighth grade, and you know Luther's high view of Scripture and the view that every person can read the Scripture was influential in me, not because I was like, oh, this is super important, but because by habit, I was taught that over and over again, and it was just ingrained in me from a very young age that I should read the Bible Mm. as part of my daily habit. Uh, And so I developed that habit as a young age. And I won't say that I was even walking closely with the Lord for most of that time through my teenage years. But even when I wasn't walking closely with the Lord, I knew what he required of me. Mm. I knew when I was disobeying because I'd read the Bible regularly. Uh, Through college, it it was mainly, you know, before I went to bed, I'd read a few passages. Usually it was more random, but sometimes I'd take a book of the Bible okay. uh, and go through. Uh, and as I've gotten older, I've had more occasion to want to or need to have specific things that I'm studying. Mm-hmm. As a Sunday school teacher, I know we're going to talk about this passage. And so I study this passage and I do the background. And so so I have regular times. I, I'm, I'm a believer that we should have devotional time in the Word, but we should also study. We should have deeper study times. But right. the most important thing is that we're reading it and we see what, what God is saying. I know lots of folks, and I'm guilty of this too, say, oh, this book is, is the rule of life. This is, this is God's revelation of himself. This is my standard for life and conduct. Well, how often do you read it? Yeah, well, not very often, mm. right? And so I'm guilty of that as well. And so I try to have a regular... A devotional time that usually includes, uh, we went to an Anglican church uh, mm-hmm. years ago, uh, and I just loved the liturgy. And so I have a couple of devotional books that I go through. There's a, a daily prayer app as well. Mm-hmm. And I like to have for devotional guides so I don't get lost uh, in, uh, I, I need to read today, but I, I don't know what I'm going to read. Uh, mm-hmm. Maybe I should be on Instagram instead. So, I, right. so, I, have, so I have a daily uh, usually a daily guide, one one devotional book or another that I'm using, uh, with even with with written prayers in it sometimes, mm. right? So that I so that that I'm I'm directed to pray, and then of course I'm I'm praying and and trying to listen as well. So I I don't have a regular time I do that. 
Often it's before I go to bed. Uh, sometimes it's first thing in the morning. Sometimes it's even at work. Working for Worldview Academy, I'm now the executive director. You know, part of my job is to be connected to the Lord. I think that's part of everyone's job, mm-hmm. of course. Uh, uh, but but sometimes uh, I'll get to work and, and I'll just sit at my desk for 15 minutes and crack open the scriptures or a little devotional guide and walk through it. Mm. So that's, <clears throat> you know, it's it's been a sort of a lifestyle uh, mm-hmm. for me based on on my parents' example. Now, you, uh, you referenced uh, it can vary during the de- time of the day, but there's kind of an ongoing inside... Uh, that's being taken within the Take and Read community. From the very first episode of the Take and Read podcast, uh, my guest indicated that he takes and reads the Bible in the morning, and there's a cup of coffee usually associated with that. I mean, you're a coffee drinker. You yes. have some with you right now. Yes, I do. Do you? Is that one of the first things that happens for you in the morning? You wake up, you grab a cup of coffee, you sit down and, and do life? Yes, so the question then is, do you brush your teeth prior to your cup of coffee or after your cup of coffee? That, that's the ongoing debate. Is it right to brush before or after? And yeah, where are you at with that? Uh, like the rest of my life, it's a little hit and miss. I'm not a very structured person. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, but uh, I optimally and ideally, you brush after. Okay. Why do you want the toothpaste taste in your mouth while you're drinking yes. your first cup of coffee? Okay. Right? Uh, so that seems obvious to me. But... There are some times where you wake up and you know you've got a big day ahead of you. You need to get to a meeting or to the office and you need to get dressed and ready. Very good. My preference is to roll out of bed, have a cup of coffee, talk to my wife or read the scriptures, depending on whether she's awake, how early it is, and then launch, in, and then launch That's into my, awesome. That's my, my idea. And I need everyone out there to know that I did not coerce him. I didn't coach him in this answer. Is this your answer th- as well? Yes, it is my answer as well. And yes. and so it just, I don't know if we're keeping tally, but yes. I, I, it's good to, to it's know. It's good to get the right answer. Yeah. Because when we crack open the scriptures, I, I don't know. I don't know how I'm going to fare. <laughs> yeah. All righty. Well, speaking of cracking open the scriptures, we're going right. to do it. We're going to take and read. Awesome. And so the fun thing is I, I don't tell the guest beforehand uh, what we're going to be reading. So there's been no preparation, which means... Uh, you're kind of off the hook. You don't have to have some like super cool insights, but also it means if you if you do have an aha moment, like the spirit of God is coursing through you, and and man, we're we're blessed. Well, for I it. shouldn't resist. <laughs> yeah. Okay, we're going to be in the Book of Acts, and we are in chapter two of the Book of Acts, and so. We have just in the last episode, we looked at the day of Pentecost and that fulfillment of the promise that Jesus had given his followers that that the the Holy Spirit would come, that that is the promise of the Father, and that they were to wait until that arrival. And that is when they would begin to be witnesses of him, uh, first in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, as it says in Acts 1-8. And so that has taken place. Uh, we we kind of spoke a little bit about the the miraculous coming of the Spirit, filling them, and then giving them the ability to speak known human languages for those that had gathered and were there for the Feast of Weeks, and so that they were hearing the mighty works of God in their own languages at the time, and that there was almost this reversal of the Tower of Babel that occurred. Yeah. yeah. And in that reversal, he takes, you know, in Babel, that 
they had one common language and then they were divided into 70 nations and then here in this moment you have these gathered multiple nations different languages all hearing one unified message the mighty works yeah. of god in their own language so uh kind of looking at what does that mean when the kingdom of god arrives that christ is restoring yeah the things that uh where God had divided them, he's now calling them to be one people under one name, the identity of Christ in one cool. kingdom. <coughs> so then we get to jump into a kind of a longer section. And so it's it's not normal at the Take and Read podcast to take on this much of Scripture, but it's really hard to break it up because it's Peter's sermon. Mm-hmm. And so we're going to take on... Peter's sermon, which runs us from verse 14 all the way to 41. Holy smokes. Okay. It's a long passage. Okay. So for those that are tuning in, uh, just buckle up. Uh, I'll try to be a good reader and make it uh, engaging. But I think it's important to take the entire sermon. And we'll have to just, as we kind of look at what it says and what it means and its significance, we'll, we'll have to really kind of look at the overall overarching concept here okay but if there are specific things that stand out i definitely we need to say that and look at that so i'm reading out of the esv translation today how about yourself Uh, same okay so we're both in the esv and again uh we spent some time prior to this praying and asking the lord to give guidance this is a supernatural book and and so we need the lord's guidance as we come and take and read and we have done that and want to encourage everyone else out there to engage with the Lord uh, prior to reading the scriptures. I think that's huge. All righty, here we are. Uh, Peter, they've just now been filled with the Holy Spirit, so they've received that promise. They, this miraculous, you know, moment where all of these Galileans are speaking languages that they did not previously know, and they're speaking the mighty works of God. Some people are perplexed by this, and they're asking, what does this mean? Others are kind of concluding, oh, they're just filled with new wine, so they're, they're kind of getting drunk, uh, and so that's what's happening here. This is crazy. And then Peter addresses everybody. And so this is the first kind of sermon, if you will, uh, that happens after the ascension of Christ. And here we have Peter. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be God, it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters will prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams, even on my male servants and female servants. In those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy, and I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God that with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus 
delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he sat at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ, of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. Actually, I'm going to stop there. We're going to stop at 36. Okay. I think we're just going to stop there. We're going to let the speech, the sermon itself be what we focus on today. And then in the next episode, we'll take a look at kind of how they received it and how they responded. So we have this sermon of Peter's. And we want to try to understand what is being said here. What, what, you know, who's there? What's happening? What is he referencing? There's some interesting things here. And you almost kind of want to stand back and, and say, what, what's he getting at? Yeah. What's the point? Why does he bring in these, these quotations from yeah. the prophets in the Old Testament? And, and so it's interesting. So what are some things that we can observe first about this? Yeah. Uh, this is a relatively complicated passage. It's right? extremely. But when you think of it as the first sermon, you have to think it, he probably wasn't bringing out his most complex stuff. Mm-hmm. This probably to his hearers was explaining some basics. Mm-hmm. I, I just I have to I have to think that, and so I have to think. Well, this seems complicated, but I think the question you ask is a really good one. What's the big picture? What's he actually trying mm-hmm. to do here? And and you look. Uh, I I I love the um, the the thing that stands out to me here is. So when I read the scriptures, when I'm when I when I'm in danger of getting down in the weeds, I will say. If scripture is God's revelation of himself to mm-hmm. us, and it is, uh, then the basic question I should always ask first to make sure I'm not off track is, what is this telling me about God? Right. What does this say about, about him? I, you don't start, as, as you've been doing at these podcasts, you don't start with, oh, what does this mean to me? Right. <laughs> right. What does this tell me about God? And, uh, and this, um, this passage toward the end um, where actually it's before it's before the quote on David. He says, 
uh, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. Yeah. So when he's telling them, uh, look what, this is Jesus. You saw what he did. Mm-hmm. We saw what he did. He, later, he says, we saw him risen. We are witnesses to the fact that he, the grave could not hold him. But God sent him, and he attested that he was God in your midst. And then he says, he delivered him up. God delivered him up, knowing that this was going to happen, but you killed him. Yeah, that's interesting. So that passage always is, is crazy to me because Peter is so clear about the God through him, uh, what Jesus did in your midst, but God delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. Mm-hmm. He delivered him up. He gave him to you. He gave him to death. However, you killed him. <laughs> You're not off the hook. That's why, I mean, you stopped it and they were cut to the heart. I mean, most of the time when Jesus is talking, everybody, they don't have ears to hear. Right. But now he's raised from the dead. The Holy Spirit is poured out. And suddenly the Holy Spirit is illuminating these words to right. them. Peter is speaking the right words by the power of the Holy Spirit. And they're like, oh my gosh, we get it now. Right. Well, and, and the, the temptation is, at least in our day and age, we don't want to offend anybody. So when we're, we're bringing the truth, it's, uh, what's my best approach? What's the most kind of comfortable way I could a- appeal to somebody? And I, I don't want to turn them off. And so I, I just, and he's, no, no punches pulled. This is not a seeker friendly. No, sermon. it's not. He is empowered and I think directed to a certain extent by the spirit. It, it says, I mean, they, they just received the spirit and they're empowered by him and standing with the 11. So here, there he is, he and his crew, he's got his 11, 11 guys, the other apostles are standing there. And he lifts up his voice and addresses these men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem. And then at one point, he'll call them brothers. He's appealing to, in verse 29, brothers, I may say to you with confidence. He is so convinced that they need to hear this because it's not a message of condemnation. It's a message of this is what happened. This is what you did. Let's not try to pretend that didn't happen. However... This is a message of hope. The Messiah. Please see it. Please see the Messiah here. So it's, yeah, I think, first of all, that's pretty powerful. Uh, excuse me. You also have uh, this. He is, as you said, there's, there's a sense in which this is complex. And I think part of its complexity is that we, you and I, and most Christians in the, in the United States, we're not steeped in Judaism. Right. We, this is not what we grew up with, but here he is addressing men and probably women that are present. And this is what they have grown up knowing. Right. These are people who were coming for the feast. These are festival goers in the Jewish tradition. Right. So this, this tradition, when he starts to reference David or the prophet Joel, Joel, uh, these are these are things that they're going to be familiar with to some degree. Yeah, some of them much more than others, possibly, but all of them have been exposed to these prophecies and these accounts of David. All of these things, because there's an anticipation of a Messiah. Yeah, that will come. Yeah, and they probably would have known. 
I, I presume, I, I don't know, but the, the passage on the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand mm-hmm. until I make your enemies your footstool. They'd have known that passage because of the greatness of David. They may or may not have known that this was a messianic prophecy from David. And Peter specifically by the Holy Spirit saying, he's talking about Christ. Yes, and they, yeah, I think the point is they, they, they may not have made that connection and they thought, oh, that's a weird typo or whatever. Uh, or not that they thought it was a typo, but they attributed that reference to something else. And so he has to point out, hey, just to be clear, David died and, and his grave is still here with us. We can go check out his grave and, and there's probably his remains to some degree still in there. But Jesus died and the grave couldn't hold him. And so he's the Messiah. He's the one that is a descendant of David that was prophesied to. Yeah. And, and we're all witnesses to it. We've seen him. Right, so so talk about this Acts one eight. You'll be his witnesses. Peter's being a witness, saying, I, "I I saw Jesus. We saw Jesus. The grave couldn't hold him. He was raised from the grave." Mm-hmm. This is Peter's first, well, one of his first opportunities to witness. Right. I'm just telling what I know. I'm telling what I saw. And I think it's interesting the location. And this is something I uh, got to talk with some of the worldview students this week about is one of the, the components that I find to be very convincing about uh, the, the account of, that we find in the scriptures of Jesus and the fact that he is the Son of God. One of the reasons I think is very compelling is that he begins to preach this message in the very location where all of the publicly viewed things that transpired around Jesus of Nazareth when he's teaching in the temple he's performing miracles and driving out demons he's doing these performing these things in Jerusalem which was not very big yeah. at the time and now all of these people have gathered and Peter gets up in the very location where it could be easily falsifiable it could be proven wrong very easily if he stands up in the place where this all took place and he's saying, we are all witnesses, we all saw this, and there's this kind of allusion to the fact that you guys are all aware of what happened too. Mm-hmm. You have witnessed this. Mm-hmm. And Paul will tell us that he appeared to more than 500 at one time, many of whom are still alive. So there's this idea that they're talking about a public event that was publicly viewable that would be easy to prove wrong if it didn't take place. And that's an incredible risk if it didn't really happen. Right. If you're going to invent a new religion that has this kind of fantastical event, take it to Egypt or someplace where they can't really uh, fact check this whole thing. Got to travel a long ways to check it out. Right. And so here he is, and I find that to be so compelling that the church, that, that God is in his infinite wisdom, doesn't do something private for one person to see to then to go tell everyone else, but he does a very public thing and he starts it in the very location that that public thing happened so that people could either go and check the tomb. Is Jesus's body still there? Oh, it's not. Okay. Uh, they, there's so many ways in which this could be proven wrong yeah. if it didn't happen. Yeah. And I love that about this. That's text. pretty great. Yeah. It's totally right. I mean, you think about here we are at worldview Academy the way that other religions started, it was a private dream about God, private encounter with an angel, a private idea that somebody has, and then what somebody experiences in private, they then go and tell to their friends, hey, this is what I experienced. And so there's no way to check you know, their own personal experience. 
Right. But everything God did in the events around Jesus were all public. His yeah. ministry was public. His teaching was public. His miracles were public. The demon uh, driving out demons was public. He was uh, debating with the religious officials publicly for all to see. He was saying, speaking in parables, and and some that had ears to hear could hear. Others were confounded by it. He was. Tr- they tried to trap him publicly in debates. Everything was out in the open. Yeah, as well as his death. It was a public execution. It wasn't some private assassination. It was done publicly with a trial and everything. And then his tomb was accessible because the tomb in which he was buried was Joseph of Arimathea, a public figure, a wealthy Sanhedrin member in Jew, in Jer- Jerusalem. And so it's just, it's amazing. Like you could totally prove this wrong. That's pretty cool. Okay. Yeah. All very, right. Very public. Very public. So back to this. <coughs> Here, Peter is, is obviously filled and empowered by the Spirit of God. He is trying to persuade them of something. Would you say that this is persuasive? He's trying to get them to see something. Yes. And so is there anything that we can look at within the, the prophet Joel portion of it or when he's referencing the patriarch David? What's kind of his main thrust? What's he really trying to convince them of? Yeah, that's a great question. I I don't know for sure. Let me just say yeah, that. that's fine. <clears throat> but but I would say when he's quoting Joel, he's saying there is a catastrophic. So let's. I'm safer on the big picture, right? Because we can yeah. go back and study Joel a little more carefully. Right. If you want to do that, we should. But but it seems to me that on a big picture level, when I read this passage, just reading it. He's talking about a catastrophic cosmic event that changes even the natural world. The moon turns to blood. Your the prophecies, mm-hmm. uh, things, things, things. They are changing, right? This is a new. This something has happened that that is that has changed everything. Mm-hmm. And so I think at the at the the highest sort of level is he's saying the the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And now the coming of the Holy Spirit, which Jesus promised mm-hmm. to, to at least a small group of people would know that this was something that they were promised, they were told to wait for, and they would receive power through it. This is clearly it. Yeah. The, no mistaking it. There's this evidence of what Joel was talking about. You're living it right now. Yes. It's happening now. And here are the signs that would accompany what Joel said would happen. And, and so these men are not drunk. This is not this is not a bunch of wine. By the way, it's too early in the day. Yeah, we, it's the third hour of the day or whatever. It's too early. We don't start yeah. drinking that early. And th- what this is, I, I'm giving you some explanation as to what you're witnessing here. And it it was prophesied, and it's now being fulfilled. And then he moves on to the identity of of Jesus. Yeah. And what would accompany these signs is the Messiah. And he, let me just, you know, case in point. Here's how. You know, you need to understand this. I'd be curious to say from, and obviously you didn't know I was going to ask you this, but being a an attorney, one of the things that you're you're probably equipped in and trained in is how do you put together a cogent argument and help someone see the truth of something? And so is there a, a path that you see Peter walking down? He's not a trained attorney by any stretch of the imagination, right. but... The Spirit of God is is through him helping him lead these people to see the validity of something. Is there something to 
to pick up on that or yeah i mean it's it's a it's pretty standard right he 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 starts with let me let me correct any misapprehension you have about what's really going on here right we're not drunk so put that out of your mind and here's why it's too yep. early and here here's some here's here's a prophet right. to testify that these things are going to happen and now they're happening in your midst and then secondly he he talks about here are the facts and he lays out carefully the facts but he also connects those facts to the experience like you, you uh-huh. as, as you were talking about these are people who were familiar with david and so to use david's own words and the example of the one they revere as the great king and prophet right the they he says he, that that guy he's he's still dead and we can look at his his bones but this this guy's different this is the this is the one that david was pointing to this mm-hmm. is the one david spoke of this is the one david is a shadow and reflection of and he does that all just by laying mm-hmm. out the facts and then pointing to some some things that are you know in the neighborhood yeah right so you guys saw jesus do signs and wonders he was in your midst this by the way let me explain how this facts work so so one context get rid of any sort of anything that might cloud your vision for it lay out the facts i mean i would never do this intentionally as a lawyer but this seems to me that what <laughs> yeah. this is what you do but then but then connect those facts and be able to explain them mm-hmm. right he doesn't just say jesus came sign of wonders signs and wonders he says no th- this attested to the fact that he was god he mm-hmm. did these signs and wonders in your midst because god delivered him into your hands and showed you that he was the god of the universe and not only that god had a plan for this right and then so so he explains the import of all these things that happened in a way that's very clear mm-hmm. he doesn't belabor it and it's very uh, appropriate for who he's talking to he knows he knows his people he knows who he's talking this to is the stu- these are the books you're reading mm-hmm. these are the, this is the history you've studied right. these are the people you revere yeah this is what you've seen this is who you trust like don't take my word for it but just yeah yeah uh there's also i think something cool that happens where jesus gave them an assignment you will be my witnesses and it was both an assignment and a almost a prophetic just by the way you know by the way this is what is going this is who you're going to be for me when empowered by the spirit and right away you see him in his sermon uh he he attests to the fact that they are witnesses specifically of the crucified and risen Jesus Christ. And so that becomes one of the core uh, components when the gospel is preached throughout the book of Acts. There is the sense in which they are a, a, a true witness, right? They're going to bear, uh, be truth bearers of an actual account of something that took place. So yes. similar to the witnesses in a courtroom, yes. they are bearing testimony to the truthfulness of something that and there's more than one they've got multiple witnesses so i knew that i know that that was a standard that was required when bearing witness and so they are bearing witness specifically about the resurrection uh i think he says here um starting in verse 30 uh, being therefore a prophet and knowing that god had sworn with an oath that he would set him his descendants on his throne uh they speak of uh, where is that the next verse 32 okay 32 this jesus god raised up and of that we are all witnesses yeah so they are bearing witness to the resurrected jesus 
the Messiah. Yeah, and sometimes we're confused by what witness means, right? right? Sometimes we read that and go, and of this we're all witnesses, meaning, yeah, we saw it. Mm-hmm. No, we're witnesses, meaning we testify. Like you said, we bear witness. We tell of it. A witness is something that tells what they saw. Not just an observer. Not an observer, right? So when we talk about the great cloud of witnesses in, in Hebrews, there are a lot of people that teach, oh, these are the people looking down on us and watching mm-hmm. us. No, no, the great cloud of witnesses are the saints that have gone before, the church has gone before, that has proclaimed the goodness of God and by their lives being sawed in half or mm-hmm. by being called into a land that they did not know. By their life, they're telling us something about what's really real. And I think that's what, one, it's what Peter's doing. I'm bearing witness to what I know. You also are witnesses to tell of what you've seen and what you know. Yeah, and they're by recruiting them to be witnesses, they're also fulfilling Matthew 28. The Great Commission. Go make disciples. Go make more of you, which you are witnesses. Yep. So go make more witnesses that will go proclaim the truth, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, yep. teaching them. To, and we'll get to that component of it here uh, in the next couple episodes. But that's, yeah, it's powerful to see that what he had commissioned them to be and do we're seeing that fulfilled immediately upon the arrival of the Holy Spirit. They yeah. begin right then in Jerusalem. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. Bam, it's happening right here and now. Yeah, yeah, fantastic. Uh, That's great. Yeah. And then in uh, verse 36, I, I think you kind of, you see that kind of the thesis or here's where he's trying to go with them. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain to have confidence, to have certainty that God has made him, Jesus, both Lord and Christ, Lord and Messiah, this Jesus whom you crucified. So there it is. He just lays it out absolutely clear. Here's what I want you to be convinced of today. Know for certain. Have confidence that this God, our God, Yahweh, has made him, Jesus, both Lord, so King, and Messiah. He's the one. He's the guy. He's the anointed one we've been waiting for for generations. Bam, bam. And then he drops the mic. Drops the if mic he had goes, a mic, he, he dropped it. Yeah. And they're cut to the heart. Yeah. Uh, that's powerful. Yeah. So maybe one other thing, because yeah. I because I emphasized it early on, the whom you crucified, right? The God, God, this was part of God's cosmic plan of redemption. Mm-hmm. And yet human beings did the wrong, did the wrong of crucifying Christ. Sometimes, and, I, and in history, there have been, there have been errors that say it was the Jews who did it, mm-hmm. right? The, then the Jews are paying for it or whatever. Mm-hmm. No, we, we crucified Christ. We, we all did. Not them. Not them. Now, the people in the crowd, yes. The, right. Some of them had blood on their hands, but most of them did not, right? It wasn't you. It was, it was not you crucified as in you individuals are, are culpable. It's our sin, that it's put him on the it's cross. humanity. It's humanity. So right. just, I think that's I important think to important know. To be clear, yeah, uh, that's that's a good point. So you, we step back from a text like this. You and I are we're husbands, we're dads, grandfather. We're followers of Christ. We're brothers in Christ. We come to a text, and we don't just want to. Oh, okay. Pat ourselves on the back. We we check the box. We've read the Bible. And we understand what it says, but we want to be doers of the word and not simply hearers. And so 
what is something that resonates for you as you take this passage? How do we walk out the door and live in light of this truth today, what God has revealed in his word today? Yeah, I, I think to me, passages like this that are central to the, to the plan of redemption, huge landmarks, you know, the, sometimes you, you want to take, well, I need to be, I need to be a better Christian today and try harder. And I mean, that's always the temptation, but I, I think this, I think this should give us confidence that the same Holy Spirit that gives yep. Peter the ability to proclaim this great message, mm-hmm. to tie it to the the history of these people that he's talking to, is the same power that gives us the ability to be a dad, mm-hmm. to be a pastor, to be a teacher or, or a student, just to, to say, you know, the power of God lives in me. And he was raised from the dead and the Holy Spirit was poured out on his people. Mm-hmm. And if I belong to Jesus, I'm empowered by the spirit of Pentecost. Yes. Oh my gosh, why am I messing around with trying to do things in my own flesh mm-hmm. when all I have to do is say, God, I want to rely on you. I do want to be your witness. Well, gosh, how do we know it's God's will for me to be a witness and he'll really empower me to do it? Well, it's pretty obvious. Mm-hmm. All I know is that I can tell what I know and that God will give me the power to do it. So that's one. Yeah, this, I think, this is just, I mean. Yeah, I think that's, that's an important point that here you have these fishermen are not trained and yet they're quoting in, in long form prophets and prophecy. And that at some point uh, later in Acts, the, the professionals will observe who are these guys? They're not, they're not learned. They're not learned men. And yet they, they can teach like this. They, they have this insight. And so it's important to note that it is the power of the Holy Spirit. It's evidence of the Spirit of God in them. And that same Spirit is in us and can empower us and enable Absolutely. us when we are willing. When we say, I'm, I'm all yours. I'm game. Wherever you want to take me, I'll, I'll I take that step of obedience to say, okay, I'm in. Whatever you need. And then he, he works through us. Yeah. So I think that's... The idea that the power comes from him, but the willingness, that's that's where we we get to be used of the Lord, I think, when we're willing to take that step and go, Okay, yeah, I'm yeah. I'm in. Yeah, that's so, cool. I, the other the other thing is this I, I want you to know for certain. Mm. And Paul does this in a couple places in scripture where he says, My purpose is that you may know this. My purpose is that you understand the depth of God's love for you or that you would know the mystery of Christ. I mean, I love that passage in Colossians. Mm. I want you to know the, the mystery of God, which namely Christ. And you're like, wait, you want us to know a mystery? Well, this sermon is the one of the great, you know, um, revealing of the ultimate mystery of the cosmos. So when I read a passage like this too, I'm thinking, this is like the centerpiece right. of all of history, you know, where Peter, the Holy Spirit comes to the, the church is born. This is the birthday of the church. This is the, the beginning of human beings being empowered and indwelt right. with the Holy Spirit that was not available to anyone in the past. Right. It was avail- He was available, but in, uh, in know, this specifically way, specifically yep. given anointings, not in indwelling empowerment of humanity. Yeah. You look at this and you're like, this is, this this rips the fabric of the cosmos open. Yeah. This changes human history. This this is this is something that's a big deal. And he just says, "Yeah, you guys can know this. Hmm. God's letting you in on this. This is something you participate in. You were here for this. 
Yeah. And it's just something where you go, man, that, that was pretty awesome. Yeah. And that, and then you, and you think, wait, the, the same Holy Spirit is in me, and yet God's cosmic plan of redemption, it, it can actually be known. Yeah. We can know about it. Because sometimes we think, well, God's unknowable. Well, he is and he isn't. Uh, it's just, it's, it's exciting to see a passage like this and, and, and just remember mm-hmm. what God has done through Jesus Christ. Amen. That's Amen. Pretty great. Mike Shutt, thanks for being with us today. Oh, thanks for doing this. Was this was awesome. It was super fun. If you're uh, uh, tuning in, what you have observed are two men that have been transformed by Christ. And uh, we, we don't get to take credit for any of what he has done in and through us, how he's shaped us. And we're convinced that this word is from him, that this is God's revealed will to us. And so we have, we have committed our lives to uh, engaging with God through his word, taking and reading on a regular basis, because this is from the creator of the universe. As Mike said, that we've been let in by the God of all of the cosmos, the, the Lord over all of the universe and all of creation, decided to reveal some things to us, let us in on the mystery, and wants to allow us to have certainty. And so we're convinced, and I, and I, I pray that as you engage with us in this, that you too would be convinced. If you are tuning in and you're not convinced, I would, continue, I would encourage you to continue to read the Word and, and allow God to convince you. Uh, he, will, he will take you on a journey and show you things, and you will be transformed for the better into the image of Christ. And so uh, we're convinced of this, and I, I hope that you are too. Thanks for joining us. If there's anything that we've talked about here that has inspired a question or a comment, go ahead and leave those questions or comments uh, where you can, wherever you're, you're taking this podcast in. But also, if you have questions for Mike or myself, you can email me at takeandreadpodcast at gmail.com. I'll make sure to get any of those questions off to Mike. And I want to encourage you to check out worldview.org. Uh, I want you to, to find a camp location, go check it out. Man, they're awesome people, and I would love for you to meet them and to hang out with them. Again, thanks for joining us, and I want to encourage you out there to go take and read the Word of God. Blessings. Blessings.